Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host and founder of Bold, Caleb Parker, and in this episode, I chat with my former rival, now friend, Mark Gilbert, the founder and CEO of Liquid Space. Mark shares why he believes we've reached peak portfolio. He says infinite workplace enables work from anywhere to proliferate, and as a result, 80% of enterprise customers in the U.S. will significantly reduce their leased office portfolios. We could probably extrapolate that figure globally. We learn about the new Liquid Space Enterprise solution and hear stories of their early days with enterprise customers, as well as a new big partnership with Comfy, which provides tens of thousands of workspace options to hundreds of thousands of employees. Mark says landlords need to recognize that flexible use of space must be a principal asset management strategy. Traditional real estate leasing practices do not solve for delivering thousands of workspace options at scale for employees today. He goes on to say that workplace brand is going to become a fundamental part of commercial real estate. Music to my ears, of course. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. If you find yourself feeling a little uncomfortable as you listen to this conversation, just remember, there's always friction when change occurs and change is the outcome of innovation. Let's get this episode started. Welcome back to the Workbull Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I think, I, I hope, commercial real estate is finally moving past the binary conversation of hashtag WFO versus hashtag WFH. That's working from home or working from the office. We're now discussing a new hashtag, WFA, work from anywhere. So, of course, I had to invite Mark Gilbreth to have a chat. I think you probably know who Mark is. He's been championing Work From Anywhere for over a decade as founder and skipper of Liquid Space. Now, Liquid Space invented real-time real estate and disrupted the traditional office industry. It's a digital marketplace that enables professionals, companies, and real estate leaders to fluidly discover, transact, and manage workplaces on flexible terms and puts the commercial real estate buyer in control. I love every word of that, especially the last bit, putting customers in control. The platform provides access to real-time office inventory or inventory from our American friends on flexible terms with over 20,000 venues around the world. And they've just launched Liquid Space Enterprise, which we'll hear about shortly. Welcome to the Workbook Podcast, Mark. Hey, Caleb. It's great to be with you. Mark is, is so good. I've, I've been learning from you probably for the past decade, uh, back from my touchdown space days when we were trying to do what you guys are doing before we knew you existed and you guys were ended up being way ahead of us. And I've just been following your story ever since. So thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Look, dude, we've been, we've been uh, following each other for the better part of a decade. And, and I, I certainly know I've been drawing inspiration and encouragement and a, in periodically a dose of fear and motivation from you. So uh, <laughs> it takes a village. Fear's, fear's a good motivator. And, uh, but look, I've, I've appreciate it. And um, I want to, I want to dive into the first question Mark, to kick this off, you know I'm a big believer in brand, and I want to start off talking about yours, Liquid Space, to set the stage for this chat. Historically, there's been nothing liquid about commercial real estate, except maybe the coffee in our offices. But literally and metaphorically, if we're talking about lease terms or investments or even mindsets, real estate's quite the opposite of liquid. One wouldn't be wrong to describe it as concrete. So I love how your brand challenges that. Do you think real estate will become more liquid all around? 
in a word, yes. Uh, in fact, it has to. Uh, and, and if we reflect on this historic, extraordinary, fucked up 2020 that we've had and, and, and the challenging pandemic that we're still living with, um, I think the biggest thing to focus on that you touched on is mindsets. Um, and yes, in real estate, the mindsets have been illiquid. They've been concrete. Um, but they have shifted and radically. It's likely been the biggest effect of COVID thus far on the office industry. The mindsets have changed and profoundly. I mean, you know, on multiple fronts. You know, managers of employees now recognize that their employees can be trusted to work effectively, even if they're not in sight. CFOs at nearly every large enterprise now recognize that and, and have, ration, have rationalized that their fixed real estate port, portfolios are, are grossly oversized and that they can reduce cost and are going to. HR leaders now recognize that their hiring pool is anywhere. <laughs> and moreover, that uh, employee engagement and retention, you know, the classic things that they measure, will come with an expectation of flexibility and choice. And so, um, I mean, across, across companies, the mindsets have shifted. And uh, irregardless of whether the real estate establishment wants to put the, wants to put the genie back in the bottle, uh, I, I firmly believe they there is there's no way that they're going to overcome that profound mindset shift. Well, I mean, you're right, and I see you know Dave Kearns, my friend over in Toronto, he's constantly posting about uh, giving a voice to his customers on what they're looking for in real estate, and 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 I, I've been posting on LinkedIn. There's lots of us that have this echo chamber going and. Often we see people uh, from the uh, traditional real estate mindset coming in and, and and getting on their soapbox and shouting about people coming back to the office. And and I, I'm a believer that we need to get off that soapbox and be talking about how to evolve and repurpose our workspace and to become more liquid, so to speak. So that brings me to my next question. And I remember back in I think it was 2012 or 2013, you had. Uh, and a, a pilot going on your platform with Accenture. And today you have Liquid Space Enterprise. So I'm curious to hear what you learned from those early pilots and you know what's changed since then. Uh, all right, so we're, we're going to go in the Wayback Machine. All right, so, <laughs> Wayback yeah, Machine. Uh, so yeah, uh, Accenture, they were, they were one of our first sort of prominent enterprise clients. Um, their uh, global director of workplace strategy, a guy named Dan Johnson, very forward thinking. But, but, Interestingly, the the use case for Accenture back in 2013 or 2014 was fairly quaint in hindsight. Uh, as I recall, um, they were using Liquid Space at the time to augment their HQ, like literally to augment, or not not just one HQ. They had 400 offices around the globe, but like for example, in New York City, they were using Liquid Space to augment the meeting room inventory of their primary office on Avenue of the Americas. And as such, the number one venue that they used out of the liquid space marketplace was literally a serviced office across the street. <laughs> so, so, you know, so it was, oh, it was overflow meeting rooms, right? And, and which was, you know, at the time elegant, you know, they could search, find and book it with a click. Uh, they gave all of their employees the privilege to do so, but it wasn't at the time terribly ambitious in terms of, of the anywhere concept. Today, you know, the world's quite different, right? It's not, it's, you know, enterprises aren't thinking about flexible office as a meeting room across the street if I run out of meeting rooms here at my headquarters. Rather, 
enterprises, broadly speaking, with, with relatively few exceptions, are recognizing, hey, our employees are going to be working from home, uh, they're going to be working from our traditional offices, and they're going to be working at a near infinite array of places in between. And so today, you know, the enterprise solve for, like the challenge that workplace and HR leaders are now burdened with is how do we provide you know, a measure of flexibility and choice to our employees? Because it's now clear they're going to expect that. Uh, and, and, and what tools are available to be able to do this efficiently uh, and with the duty of care and, and, and observance of health and safety, while also ensuring that we're in compliance with the new sort of overall financial objectives of our company? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and as you said in your opening comment, you know, the industry is finally moving beyond this somewhat pointless debate of home versus office, this polar or binary debate. It, it misses the reality. The reality is that workplace is going to be a continuum, home and flex and, and traditional offices, albeit right-sized. It's also clear, or we would contend, that the traditional real estate leasing practices and the traditional workplace management practices that, that you know work for leased headquarters and the like simply don't apply. Simply cannot solve for delivering thousands or tens of thousands of location options to employees at scale and providing them with with choice. And so mm-hmm. it's a long windup, but that's what inspired us to develop and, and bring to market here just recently uh, a wholly new product we call Liquid Space Enterprise. It's a it's a SaaS tool that complements our marketplace and empowers CRE and workplace leaders to be able to uh, set up and deliver flexibility and choice at scale to their employees. And not for a meeting room across the street from the headquarters, but for tens of thousands of locations, wherever their employees may be. Well, that key word is scale to me. And right now we, we hear in, in our little small part of commercial real estate sector, uh, we hear that we work in the Regis's as being the big dinosaurs, well, the big dinosaurs, the big elephants, <laughs> maybe some are dinosaurs, but the big elephants. Um, <laughs> um, that was a Freudian slip there. <laughs> I won't cut that out, actually. <laughs> no, um, but um, the, the key word is scale, because even though they might be the, the largest in, in our tiny footprint of the industry, a tiny footprint is massively growing, but they still don't have the scale that enterprise needs to manage tens of thousands of employees. And, um, you know, so you actually, you've recently announced a new partnership with Comfy, uh, which is a Siemens company. Um, And they have, speaking of scale, um, they have their workplace intelligence platform that's deployed across 59 countries, 83 million square feet of managed office space. Then they're, I guess, facilitating the use of 110,000 employees, which is what I've done in my research and, and, and seen. So speaking of scale, so I'm just curious, could you share some details around that partnership and how that sort of ties into enterprise? Yeah, happy to. We'll talk about that partnership with Comfy, and, and, and let's also come back maybe later uh, sort of to the topic of scale. But, but um, yeah, Comfy. So Comfy is a um, fabulous company, and we're extremely excited about the partnership that we announced with them uh, uh, two months ago now. And first off, I'd say Erica Eaton, who's the CEO there, and her team at Comfy are fantastic. You know, deeply experienced uh, and a joy to work with. Um, you know, they're, they're customer obsessed, and and their and our visions here at Liquid Space about what the planet needs and what employees yearn for are 
very deeply aligned. For the folks in your audience that aren't familiar with Comfy, uh, part of Siemens, uh, they're a tenant experience app. Uh, when they were founded half a dozen years ago, they, you know, their, their initial critical or killer app was you know, a mobile app that would let the employee you know, be able to control the environment of their workplace, like literally control the HVAC and lighting systems of the smart building that they might be working in. And it's a powerful notion. Like it, it, it honors and recognizes that every individual worker may have his or her unique preferences, and it leveraged the sort of increasing base of, or the, the growing base of buildings that had IP-based control systems. So, so I reach for my comfy app, and I can turn up or down the temperature or the lighting or the like. Powerful concept. Um, it has expanded significantly since then to include a whole host of of other services to, to create a, a deeply personalized tenant experience. Uh, and Comfy sells that solution to employers, to large enterprises who, who deploy it to enrich the experience of the employees working at their traditional offices. The big idea of the partnership that we have with Comfy that they're excited about, we're excited about, is that workplace is now, today, continuum, as you and I talked about. It's, it's not just the headquarters location where the Comfy app may have been installed. Workplace is now and forevermore will be home and flexible office spaces and those traditional HQs. And so what's clear to us and Comfy is that employees are going to expect from their employers a frictionless experience to be able to navigate across that continuum. You know, if, if on a given day, Caleb uh, would prefer to work near home at a safe, secure uh, co-working space, um, and he wants to affect that transaction. And on another day, he wants to book a desk or a meeting room to meet up with Mark back at the headquarters. What Caleb is going to most appreciate would be being able to do that in the same way, being able to do that with one application that would let him transact a near-home space or a space on the go, and then on another day, book a space at the headquarters. Mm-hmm. What Liquid Space and Company have done is demonstrate an integrated technology experience that that enables employers to have one app that can be used to book a desk or a control an environment at the headquarters and through the same app reach into you know a marketplace of near infinite options on demand so in simple terms if you're a company that has chosen comfy as your tenant experience app for your traditional office locations your employees can now enjoy access to the liquid space marketplace of on-demand options through the Comfy app. An employee can, can, can tap both those worlds through one app experience. That's so cool. I, I, I like, pers- I like, personally, I like that you use me as the example <laughs> because <laughs> I do like some, a bit of diversity. I like working from home. True. I work close to home and then go into the office. I, that, that describes me perfectly. But the fact that you're removing friction um, and making it easy um, totally makes sense. So this reminds me of um, of the hotel industry and um, in particularly business travel. And I'll often talk about the parallels between the future of commercial real estate and the way the hotel industry operates now, where we see travel management companies supporting enterprise on, on business travel. And there are apps out there where people can, um, you know, book and manage their travel um, friction-free, similar to what you've described with your comfy partnership. So I've heard some in commercial real estate say that flexible bookings for workspace, I'm going to use that term, are a potential threat to the big agency commissions. But do you think this model is going to actually save agencies in the end? Um, 
I'm smiling, Caleb. And so when you say agencies, are you referring to the traditional commercial real estate service providers and brokerage firms? Yes, I am. Uh, CBREs, JLLs, uh, and, and you know maybe that's a big statement to say save, but I'm going to make it. Yeah. Okay. So you asked the question, do I think that this model, flexible office, workspace on demand, is going to save the agencies in the end? Yeah. But just to be um, clear, specifically, Mark, um, like your, your friction-free booking of sure. space sure. through an app. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, just to so, be clear on that. Yeah. Um, quite the opposite. <laughs> I think it will break the agencies as we knew them to be. Um, and I mean, sincerely, like Caleb, when was the last time you sat down with a travel agent or even spoke to one on the phone? I, well, I don't know that I've ever, ever have when I wasn't working at a hotel. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, I mean, I, I think your, your uh, identifying of the hospitality industry as a possible example of where we're headed or a parallel, I think it's spot on at multiple levels. Um, the hotel industry serves industry, serves you know business travelers deeply. It has for decades and decades. Um, and where has their model gone? It has gone to frictionless experiences that allow professionals uh, to be able to tap the full breadth of the very fragmented and diverse hospitality supply base. Uh, it's allowed them to do so with digital tools that uh, are transparent, that democratize information, that allow individuals to see all the options, efficiently compare them, transact them in a consistent way, uh, and do so with a few clicks, like in seconds. Um, and, you know, <laughs> when I graduated from college and I had my first sort of job in Silicon Valley in the early 80s or late 80s, like I, I do remember going to, to, to a travel agent in Sunnyvale and sitting down and planning out trips. Like you did, that's, that's how you did travel bookings. But that's gone. And um, I, I believe that um, a substantial portion of workplace occupancy, workplace usage will will go to flexible. You know, many tens of percentage points, like 30 plus percent will go to flexible. And with that, those transactions will go to frictionless digital online transactions. And with that, a major chunk of traditional agency supported commissions are going to go away. That doesn't mean those firms are going to go away quite the opposite, right? Those firms are going to evolve into other services, you know, property management, facilities management, strategic consulting. There's a myriad of other things that they do, but the, the brokerage portion of the house, which for some firms is upwards of 50% of their revenues. I think that that, uh, that that's going to break in a big way. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with you there, but I do want to bring up uh, another another point or maybe comparison to the, ho to the hotel industry. Um, sure. When we when we talk about specifically business travel and separate that from from you know leisure travel and and fun, but business travel, there are companies like American Express Corporate Travel, Carson Wagonly here in the UK. You've got Capita has a business travel management. These basically the TMCs of travel travel management companies. Yes. And, what I've seen in recent years, even Expedia has rolled out an app through Eugencia, which is their business travel um, mm -hmm. management company, and they're able to manage, give their customers, their corporate customers and those employees the ability to to book that travel on the fly. So I'm just wondering if, let's say, you've got this platform, well, that's why I said, is this going to save the brokers? Because if they're going to lose these big commissions, then can they transition by using your software – 
to support their customers, and that'll help save them is what I'm sort of going for. Do you do partnerships with um, brokers, or are you open to those? We have many, many brokers and firms that that use our platform as a tool, right? So I think our, you know, our, our, we're customer obsessed. Our, our attention is on serving the interest of the occupier. That might be a freelancer on the go looking for an office for an hour. That might be a Fortune 50 enterprise looking to serve 50,000 employees globally, right? So, so um, we routinely are working with uh, a broad array of brokerage firms and partners at the behest of our customers, uh, if indeed they're pulling a broker in as an advisor. And we also have brokers that use our platform to solve for the needs of their end clients. Uh, to your comment or your, your, your um, identifying of firms like Carlson Wagonlit, Carlson Wagonlit or, uh, or American Express Travel, Certainly, I think I think there is a, a rich opportunity for corporate-focused, business travel-focused entities to leverage a platform such as ours. I guess um, when I said when I when I first sort of commented that I think uh, flexible bookings and tech-enabled platforms will break agencies as we know them, I was referring to the traditional service providers' reliance on brokerage transactions as, you know, for, for traditional leasing, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think, I think you're going to see a meaningful shift uh, in the economics of that world. And, um, and, I, and you know, the, the, the broker who built his portfolio of, of clientele and his healthy earnings based upon doing 10-year leases, um, he's gonna, you know, that TAM is going to reduce. And, I, and I, don't, I don't see the average senior broker who'd been doing 10-year leases for 30 to 100,000 square feet each, suddenly shifting to being a, a business travel agent <laughs> for flexible office. I don't see that transition happening, frankly. F- fair enough. Well, um, I'm, it's going to be an interesting time over the next, next few years and uh, exciting time for, for many and um, not so exciting for, um, for some. So I'll just leave it at that. I want to transition to to LinkedIn. You know, I mentioned uh, some of the posts and the the echo chambers that are out there, but um, there's also some posts that challenge the status quo, <laughs> which I love. And yeah. you wrote one recently. And it was an article that I'd like to amplify on here. Um, in fact, I, we might we might name this episode after that article if if you give us permission. And it's called your your article is titled "Peak Office in Infinite Workplace." And in the article, you suggest we have reached peak portfolio and the onset of infinite workplace. So I'm hoping you can elaborate on that and share what you think asset owners and managers need to do to prepare. Sure. Happy to. Um, The peak office term in in question was actually something that I had posed four years ago uh, in a TEDx talk uh, that I had the privilege of doing. And the thinking at the time was that number one, it looked like you know mobility, i.e., the ability to kind of work on the go, was increasing, thanks to ubiquitous broadband and and most companies having you know SaaS applications, so you could you could get online anywhere and access the tools that you needed. So that was that was you know there was a long arc of that. Number two, it appeared at the time four years ago, data supported this, of course, that actual workplace densities i you know what sort of what square footage was a typical employee being allocated in an office design that the densities were increasing uh, and had been and were continuing to as companies 
embraced more progressive design practices. You like, you know, in the last 15 years or so, we've gone from 250 to 300 square feet per person to, you know, 150. And, and there were many examples of companies that had pushed that down to 100 square feet per employee or even less. Accenture, for example, was, you know, had pushed density to something like 50 square feet per person. Um, and then the third observation at the time, four years ago, was that despite the fact that mobility was seemingly increasing, people could and were working in lots of places and densities were increasing. Nonetheless, it looked like the asset development pipeline appeared to be ticking along, raging along, in fact, as if nothing had changed. So we're building more supply. People are working on the go more and actual workplace densities are increasing. Um, and so the, the thinking at the time was something's got to give. And so I threw out the, you know, the peak office topic uh, to be provocative. I, I, I sincerely believe that it might be a reality at some point. And I, I pointed to things like peak oil and peak car as, as other sort of illustrations, just to, to be provocative. Mm. Um, so yeah, a month or two ago, I, I spent a little time over the weekend revisiting that thinking and, and, and saying, you know, do I still believe that, right? And, and, and where are we today? And, and where I landed and, and, uh, and what I now believe, and I'd say fervently, is that we have reached peak portfolio. So I'm not saying peak office, but I'm saying peak portfolio. And I'll, I'll define portfolio, Caleb, as a company's traditional leased real estate, mm. its headquarters and its principal office locations. I think we are at peak portfolio. I think the vast majority, 80 plus percent of enterprises here in North America have reconciled that, that they are actually going to be contracting their portfolios uh, you know, significantly from where they stand right now. Mm. And I think we're at the dawn of something you and I've been talking about here for the last half hour, you know, work from anywhere, right? And, and with that, for employees, an infinite range of options. Like, Work from anywhere might mean I'm working in a Marriott hotel tomorrow. I'm working in a Serendipity Labs next week. I'm working at home on Friday. I'm I'm back at my headquarters uh, for a company meetup. You know, the following Monday, anywhere, right? And and there are near infinite options. And so while on one hand, so so hence the the new phrase. And and, and no longer is it a question. I think it's an absolute. You know, peak portfolio and infinite workplace. You know, we are going to be contracting our traditional leased office footprints, and we're going to be leaning into, in a big, fulsome way, leaning into the extraordinary opportunity, environmentally, economically, experientially, of infinite workplace. And okay, well, let's 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 say your crystal ball is one hundred percent correct. Which, by the way, I, be I believe and I agree with you. But let's say we're we're correct in what we believe in in our vision, which has come true over the past decade. We mm -hmm. didn't expect a global pandemic to, to help us along the way, but here we are. Yeah. Um, what what do you believe asset owners and managers need to do to prepare for this? Um, they need to adapt their thinking, and, and, and many have. Like I, I think um, while while the institutional real estate community has had the ability to be somewhat conservative in its thinking, and by, by that I mean, um, I don't mean that critically, I mean, they've, they've been able to be conservative, like the patterns, the model of, of office development, office capitalization has been largely unchanged for you know, 100 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, they now need to become more liberal in their thinking. They now need to recognize that flexible use of space must be a principal asset management strategy within most office assets. 
they cannot simply presume that the traditional 10-year lease, you know, a bond-like structure, will be the only asset strategy with which they monetize an expensive uh, asset. They, they have to embrace um, flexible office strategies as a complement to, not a replacement of, a complement to their traditional leasing. So if you're a if you're a developer, if you're an owner-operator of an asset, you know, you need to embrace the technologies, the practices, the strategies of of a meaningful portion of your asset being consumed on more flexible terms. And and for some asset owners that are already there, like you know, Caleb, you've you've covered this. You know, the British lands, the Tishman Spires, the the Brookfields, the EQ offices, there's a myriad of owners that that see that, they get it, they understand it, they're they're mobilized on that. Whether they're whether they're partnering with operators like Serendipity or Industrious, or whether they've developed their own in-house brands and strategies, broadly speaking, uh, I'm optimistic that owner world, the institutional owner world, is mobilizing on this. And I think you know, three to five years from now, I think you're going to see uh, countless examples where flexible tenancy has become 30 plus percent of an overall asset stack, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, to the to the capital partner or the investor or the LP behind that building, you know, flexibility has value. Uh, and the economic occupancy of an asset that has a significant portion of it allocated toward flexibility uh, arguably can be higher than that building produced when it was just long-term leases. And we'll go back to your your example of the hospitality world. You know, the idea of an asset being monetized on shorter term usage as a hotel is implicitly or a self-storage facility or an apartment is, is not a new concept. It's just new for office. Um, and, you know, the, you know the, the overnight room rate for a Marriott hotel is, is radically higher than, than the rate structure would be if I was leasing it for 10 years. So asset owners have the opportunity to, to both deliver what the market wants, which is flexibility, uh, and at the same time, uh, even tune or improve uh, their economic posture. Well, um, I, I believe that too. And I think this brings us sort of full circle back to the topic of scale, because um, as we see more and more flexibility get underwritten into assets, new developments, repurposed assets, um, there's going to be, going back to your term, infinite workplace. <laughs> um, so how does one enterprise company address that and manage that and, and ensure that their employees have access when there's infinite options out there. And yeah. and my favorite question, how much mm -hmm. does brand play into those buying decisions of those customers? Sure. Um, well, if we, if we go back uh, even a year, you know, it wasn't so long ago. It, it would have once seemed reasonable, you know, even, even 12 months ago, you know, pre-COVID, it would have seemed reasonable if you were an enterprise workplace leader to you know, sign a 10-year lease for a regional office, it would have seemed reasonable uh, to expect your employees to, to come to that dedicated office five days a week. And as it relates to flexible office, it would have seemed completely reasonable to you know, sign an MSA with IWG and, and presume that there are 3,000 locations around the planet were sufficient coverage you know, to, to address the needs of your employee base. And my how things have changed. On the topic of scale, um, I, I believe that you know Mark Dixon at IWG and Sandeep at WeWork, I, I believe that they now recognize that even their substantial portfolios, IWG with 3,000 plus locations, uh, WeWork with you know, 700 or so, 
those are substantial. They're meaningful. They're 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 going to be a vital piece of the supply base. They'll be they're going to be a vital piece of infinite workplace. But but alone, neither of them are anywhere near the scale of what even a moderate sized enterprise will need, given the fact that their employees are going to be in hundreds or thousands of locales on a given day. And so to that end, <laughs> um, what the industry needs and what what occupiers need is the means of being able to tap into what is a very fragmented, and it will only become increasing so, a very fragmented supply base. There are thousands upon thousands of brands and operators and, uh, and flavors. Right? And no one, I believe, no one, even, even a formidable operator like IWG or WeWork, no one brand realistically has the opportunity to run the table. Um, rather, they're going to be a part of an ecosystem, a part of a network, if you will, uh, of options. Scale will come from using technology to provide occupiers at corporate scale with the ability to efficiently tap into, you know, high quality curated options on a global scale. You can't, if if your market's in, even with infinite capital, if you, if you had it, you, you just can't build enough in enough places to be the end all be all. And the hospitality world actually reflects that to a degree. I mean, you know, Marriott's an extraordinary company and an extraordinary brand. I think they've got something like 12,000 hotels around the world, but even they uh, are, are a fraction of the overall hospitality base. I think that parallel will will endure in our workplace world, Caleb. Yeah, no, I I see that, and I I appreciate uh, your insights on that, and you know, just piggybacking on on the brand question, yeah. and yeah. um, it, when we when we have this this mass scale, and let, you know, let's let's say that you've got, you know, what, what do you have? Uh, what what did, what did I say earlier? <laughs> Twenty thousand venue partners think, around the world. I think you said twenty thousand plus. Yes. Twenty thousand plus venue partners around the world that you've got now, um, and that's only going to increase. So, where where does where does brand sit in that conversation, or does it does it not matter? Is it more about location and cost? Oh, it's massively important. Um, I mean, workplace is becoming a consumerized experience. I mean, that's part of what's happened now, and and will endure. Employees, when we when we thankfully re-enter the workplace or infinite workplace in the months ahead, employees are going to come back with more autonomy, more flexibility and choice than they, than they were afforded pre-COVID. That's not clear. Yeah. Companies, broadly speaking, are leaning into this. So they're going, to, they're going to be given choice. And that choice is going to manifest as employees having the optionality of working at home, working near home, you know, meeting up with colleagues or venturing back to the headquarters. They're going to be given the autonomy, the agency, to make a consumerized choice. And, um, and, you know, and what we're doing, what Liquid Space is doing in the market, is providing companies with a tool to be an efficient mechanism. I mean, Liquid Space Enterprise was developed to provide midsize and large enterprises with an efficient tool to give flexibility and choice to their employees. And what matters to a consumer brand does. I mean, consumers typically purchase from brands that they trust. And trust is fostered over time uh, by the emotional ties that get built up as they have experiences, as they see messaging that's consistent, that's relevant. Um, trust is, is forged as consumers enjoy solutions that save them time. 
<laughs> uh, trust is forged as they see clarity and differentiation uh, in, in the products that they choose. Trust is forged. Brand helps them um, overcome concerns about safety, which is certainly of paramount importance right now. And so, I mean, I think uh, the office world hadn't needed to think much about brand. I mean, you know, in the past, in the recent past, building owners or landlords never thought in the recent past about the brand of their asset. It was, well, no, it's it's 14 foot gaps, flabs, and and here's our HVAC system and it's a 10 year lease. No, you, no, you put your brand into this space, Mr. Tenant. Like they didn't location, think about location, 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 <laughs> location, location, location. Yes. But, but now brand absolutely matters. Right. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 fundamental to what we do uh and 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 we're obsessed on it awesome well great you couldn't have said it any better for me um you know i, I think that and i've said this before that you know if you ask anybody today who owns the building that they work in nobody let you know less than one percent could probably tell you um you know in, in in 10 years from now if we do this right you know every everybody will be able to tell you what 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 the name of the building they work in based on the Absolutely. brands in there Absolutely. And you've got uh, switched on, uh, driven leaders in the institutional real estate world. I mean, Lisa Picard at EQ, she's on a tear. Like she, she gets this. Yep. Uh, she understands that her assets need to be an experience, that she has a brand opportunity uh, and she's not alone. Right. And so I, I think, um, I think you're going to see a massive shift in thinking and action uh, on this front in the, in the, the months, in the years ahead. Uh, and those that don't adapt, uh, I think will, will lag substantially in their economic performance. Well, there you go. You heard it from Mark Gilberth. I have one last question for you before we get into the quick fire round. And this is this is more curiosity here. Um, you know, and going back to LinkedIn, there was I've obviously been following you quite closely. Uh, you posted a hypothetical question recently um, asking how the market would react if a large co-working operator decided it wanted to be quote Airbnb um, for our industry, um, to, to react to the demand to serve companies anywhere. And, um, you were asking like, how would customers react? How would landlords react? You know, what about the thousands of independent, smaller co-working operators? Would, would they give someone like an IWG or WeWork permission, so to speak to, to, or, or maybe new flex <laughs> permission to do this? Um, you know, what was the response to that hypothetical? What was the thinking behind it? Um, well, first off, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to you, Kayla, because like I, 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 uh, in the, in the social stream and on, on LinkedIn and elsewhere, I'm, I, I still consider myself a bit of a newbie. And so I, I take cues from guys like you and you know, Dave Karen. So you referenced uh, at CBRE cause you guys are, are, are adept. Um, but I, I, one of the things I've learned is, um, it's far more effective to ask questions in LinkedIn than it is to just spout off on what you believe to be true. And I, and far too often I do the latter, but in this moment, I, yeah, I posed a question. I asked that question you asked about, like, could, would, would, would an IWG or a WeWork have permission to, to be the Airbnb, if you will? Um, and the uh, reaction was pretty interesting. I mean, it, um, as Dave Karen said, it got a lot of action. A lot of people felt pretty passionately about this. I think um, to draw out some of the observations that I, that most resonated with me, um, I think it was Nick Levine, a, a pal, a recent former uh, convene guy, um, you know, Nick pointed out, you know, enterprises will want, you know, standard T's and C's and procurement leverage um, and on, on the demand side. So, so he sort of saw the merit of, you know, of a platform, an Airbnb like platform, if, if it could standardize procurement, which, which 
we're doing, by the way. <laughs> Shout out. Uh, I, thought, I thought that might be the case. <laughs> yeah, and, and he also said to the to supply side, the space operator, on on top of access to customers, like that, you know, a platform would need to, you know, provide useful data. He said, and and insights on customer habits, you know, competitors in the market, and I and um, we had that squarely in our sites as well. So so that was that was Nick's comment. Um, John Arenas, who you and I know deeply well. Uh, uh, Long, I mean, current CEO of, of Serendipity Labs, with a with perhaps the the richest background on this topic on the planet, um, uh, he he pointed out uh, some parallels back out of the hospitality world that, that you referenced. He he commented on how American Airlines back in the day, uh, and I know you study this deeply, Caleb, that the American Airlines actually you know developed the first travel GDS, global distribution system. It's called Sabre. And American Airlines ultimately spun Sabre out so that it could be, as John put it, sort of channel and supplier agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I, you know, John, I think was sort of saying, look, that's, that's the inevitable. The inevitable is that you've got a channel and supplier agnostic independent platform. But John said, John went on to say, it won't stop some from trying. I think he was referring to the IWGs and WeWorks. I guess yep. my, my, uh, my favorite response, or the, or the response that I, I think is most true, came from uh, one of the multiple corporate real estate folks that, that commented, uh, Robert Teed, uh, who runs Global Workplace and Procurement and Security for, for ServiceNow, said, bottom line, I'm doubtful that they could create a compelling marketplace with thousands of operators that is not ripe with conflicts or otherwise not exceptionally self-serving for the owner. Mm. I th- I think his point, is, and maybe sort of seconding what John Arenas pointed out, I think his observation is, yeah, we need a platform that has all the inventory, but it's got to be independent. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the world needs it, right? Like, you know, our, our mantra internally, what we're driven by is, you know, more happy people working in better spaces, the planet smiles. Like the world needs a platform that can enable that. Like, you know, we're, and we're, we're uh, we're deeply committed to to being one a platform that does that. <laughs> so we'll see how it plays out. And um, looking forward to continuing learning from you, Mark. I, I have a couple couple quick fire questions. Uh, you've heard the podcast. You know how that goes. Sure. Just a uh, quick quick question, quick answer. And the first one is, who inspires you in commercial real estate? Huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> awkward pregnant pause like i um i'm a big fan of what lisa picard's doing on the on the asset side i think we need more like her uh i'm a bit you know and i'm a shout out to our buddy dave cairns like i'm a big fan of the courage that he's showing to kind of yell into the wind a little bit inside of the establishment like he is he is like he is a revolutionary inside of cbre <laughs> you know i've got my I, uh, my my prediction will be that he'll probably find uh, you know a place beyond that at some point. But but you know you know chapeau to today for being willing to challenge some of the the orthodoxy of of traditional brokerage. So there's a couple of examples that I I draw some inspiration from. Adam Love Lewis. it, love it, excellent. And I'll I'll second that myself. Um, what what podcast or or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? Obviously, you have your own podcast too. Sure. Yeah. Um, and thank, if you don't mind me doing a shout out, um, Do it's, it. it's been sitting on the shelf for a little while, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm revving up some new episodes as we speak, but it's called the flexible office economy. Uh, so look it up folks. Um, uh, but like, I, I guess the, 
the uh, the podcast I'm I'm most religiously listening to of late has been it's a little bit irreverent, but Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher, um, a Pivot podcast. I, I um, it's not real estate specific, but they routinely sort of find themselves talking about aspects of Airbnb or WeWork and other things. So it's a good one. Look it up if you haven't listened to it, folks. Pivot. Excellent. And the last question is is not work related. Um, but, uh, you're, you're, uh, this isn't the question, but you're joining us from, from your home office in, um, is it Idaho? Is that right? I'm actually at, in an office building in a small mountain town of Sun Valley, Idaho. That is correct. So my question then is you're joining us from Idaho, but where, when restrictions are lifted is your favorite holiday destination? Ah, <laughs> well, my daughter graduated from high school last spring and, uh, she, we just dropped her off. In, at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, for for her first on-site semester, oh, yeah. she did her first semester from home, and she missed the trip that we wanted to take. And so, uh, Caleb, we were gonna we were gonna be in London last June uh, oh. for a week with her great aunt who lives there, and then we were gonna bop on down to Italy with her for the first time. And so, we're desperately hoping that, fingers crossed, as soon as this summer, we might be able to. to do a rerun of that planned trip. And, and if so, uh, mate, I'll be looking you up as I did last time I was in London. Well, we'll have to get, catch up and get a drink like we did last time as well. So uh, I've, I've, I'm also desperately hoping that the restrictions are lifted and we can uh, be traveling. We've got some good news from the prime minister recently, so we'll see if the dates hold up. Um, never a bad shout to go to London and Italy. I could go there every year the rest of my life to a different place and never get bored. Um, but since your daughter's at Emory, you know, I'm just down the road in Savannah, Georgia, down the road in Georgia is four and a half hours, by the way. But mm -hmm. um, that's where I'm from. So you have to pop into Savannah if you've not been. I've never been. Yeah, I've never been. It's a great, great place to visit for a long weekend. Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate the conversation and, uh, and all of your insights. Be sure to follow Mark on LinkedIn. He's going to be posting more now that we had this conversation. Um, <laughs> check out his podcast and uh, follow him on Twitter as well. Um, and it's at Mark Gilberth. I'll put the links in the show notes so you can click on it from there. But uh, thank you, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Caleb. You're a gentleman. Stay safe. You do the same. And everyone listening, thank you. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, jason at podcastsyndicator.com or brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening, and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.